We're going to be together again this morning in the book of Job, so I invite you to find Job chapter 42 today. Job chapter 42. The question that we looked at last week was, have you lost sight of God's grand purpose? Have you lost sight of God's grand purpose? Hard situations can dim our view. They can, they can redirect our, our gaze away from God's grand purpose in our lives. We can forget what God's grand purpose is. Last week, we looked at the question that God asked Job about that. And now we come today to the answer. This is Job's answer. And as we think about the question for ourselves, have I lost sight of God's grand purpose? Then it can help us to see the right answer. Maybe even recalibrate our thoughts, redirect our gaze in the right way. So look with me at Job chapter 42, and let me read for us, starting in verse 1. Job 42 verse 1 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So here's Job's answer. God asked the question. Um, the question, who is this who hides counsel? Who is this who obscures God's purpose? Who is this who lacks understanding, who's without knowledge? That was the question God had asked Job. And here we have his answer. And the answer that Job gives, gives us two great lessons, two great lessons that Job learned and that we can learn as well as we think about seeing through suffering and pain, which is the theme of this study. And first of all, it is a right view of God. This is what we can learn through suffering and pain. This is what Job learned, and this is what we can learn, that will get us through the times of suffering and pain, and that is a right view of God. Now, what we see from Job is that his suffering and pain led him to a point where he made these declarations, where he expressed these affirmations about God. So, so we could say that God confronted Job with a question. So he got God arranged and allowed the circumstances in Job's life, and God confronted him with a question, intentionally leading Job to this point where he expressed himself in these ways. So we can equate that with ourselves and say that that our suffering and pain can lead us. Our circumstances push us and God challenges us to respond in a similar way. And and the first way is that that we understand in our right view of God that, that the God who creates also controls and he cares That's what's contained in in Job's uh, Job's confession here at the beginning of verse 2. I know that you can do everything. This is after God laid out for him 
this spectacular view of creation. I was, I was, in fact, I was thinking, in fact, this past week I read back through uh, chapters 38 through 41 myself just because it's so spectacular, the, the descriptions of creation and nature and the creatures and the skies and all of it. Just a blessing to read it. And I thought, you know, this is, you think of a bird's eye view of something, right? That kind of aerial view. That was, that's God's view of the world and the universe. And he's describing it himself. We, we attempt to describe what our universe is like and, and creation and the creatures. That's God describing it. So after all of that, Job just steps back and he says, you can do everything. You can do everything. You are the God who creates. But, but along with that, he's, he's expressing God was communicating and, and Job is acknowledging that the God who creates also is in control. God controls it all. That's the message God is, is presenting there. So God created everything. He brought it into existence. God controls everything. He directs it all to fulfill his will. And God also cares. Some of what, what God described in those chapters is how he provides and how he oversees and how he protects those creatures and his creation. And we also looked last time at the scene where the disciples are in the boat with Jesus Christ in the storm. And they said, don't you care? But we know, in fact, he does care, doesn't he? So the God who creates also controls and he cares. He takes care of us. He sustains us. He maintains us. He protects us. He provides for us. And this is true about everything and everyone. And suffering and pain reveal that, that our view of God sometimes is deficient. We forget these truths about our God. They fade in our thinking. Our view of God may be inaccurate. It could even be twisted. And so it has to be constantly adjusted our view of God has to be adjusted and sometimes it needs to be expanded we need to have a bigger view of God sometimes it needs to to be readjusted so that it fits what God's word actually says and sometimes radically so how do you do that how do you adjust your thinking how do you recalibrate your view of God how do you expand your view of God well how do we know about God we know about him from from creation from the skies but we also know about him from what the word of God, don't we? So go back and read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 about how God made everything. Read Job 38 through 41 and, and get God's perspective of the universe. Read the Psalms and, and, and notice how they convey the greatness and the goodness of your God. Read the Gospel of John about the Word who became flesh. Read the book of Revelation. Read Revelation chapter 1 with this description of, of the person of Christ. Read Revelation chapters 19 through 21 with its description of how everything culminates and consummates around Christ into eternity. That will expand, that will push the boundaries of your mind out about who your God is. And let those times of suffering and pain push you into those sections of the word of God and come with that heart, come with that question, how can my view of God grow? How can it increase? How can it expand? There's a song that I think is a favorite of, of some of you here and of this church. It's one that's been a blessing to many. And it goes like this, who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? And of course, the answer is God, isn't it? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. And listen to the second stanza, who has given counsel to the Lord? 
Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? And the refrain is, behold our God. Behold him. Look at him. Gaze upon him. Fill your view with who your God is. That's what that song is reflecting and calling us to do. A right view of God is that the God who created all things is in control of all things, but he also cares for you. Who has felt the nails in his hands, as the song says? He created all things, he controls all things, and he cares for you. And having a right view of God in our suffering and pain is seeing that the God who created all, controls all, and cares for you. Job also saw, and we can also see, that God has a grand plan that our hardships help to be fulfilled. God has a grand plan, and our hardships have a part in that. Our hardships actually help that grand plan to be fulfilled. And here's what Job said in chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. There's that word purpose, God's purpose. Psalm 33, 11, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Ephesians 1.11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a purpose. He has a design and plans to fulfill his design that bring him glory, but also that bless his people. And there is this, this eternal and grand plan that God has in his own infinite mind, but he is enacting that plan through the unfolding events of our lives, the ones that are sweet, the ones that are happy, the ones that we get pleasure from, and the ones that are hard. And all of those contribute to the fulfillment of his plan. He will accomplish his purpose, so somehow... Your suffering and pain fits into God's purpose. And of course the question is, well how? How does it fit? Let's go to another text of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. With each of these messages I'm trying to make a connection to principles and truths that we understand in the New Testament perspective. Job's experience and the truth he spoke does relate directly to us. It is relevant for us, but it helps us to see it through the the lens of the New Testament. And that's what we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And also it reminds us of the, the fact that, that other people do experience hardship. Now, on our way there, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Listen to what Paul says in, in chapter 1 verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Listen, that we were burdened beyond measure. Burdened beyond measure. Above strength, in other words, beyond our ability to handle it, so that we despaired even of life. There are several books in the New Testament that relate to suffering and pain. The books of First and Second Peter, the book of Hebrews, and here the book of Second Corinthians. Paul is being very transparent about the pain he experienced in ministry. As you start reading through the, this, this book, this letter to the Corinthians, you see that, and he's being very open about it. He's not being a whiner. 
He's just being human. He's being real. He's saying, here's what happened to me. And look at what he says in, in chapter 3, starting in, in verse 18. Chapter 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, that, that sounds like seeing, doesn't it? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So, what is God's purpose? How does our hardship fit into his purpose? Well, we see Paul saying that that during these difficult times, we begin to see Christ. We behold him. We behold the glory of the Lord. And the result of that is that we are transformed, that, that we are changed. And that is part of God's grand plan, is, is your transformation, the change that you and I experience. His purpose is to change you. And we naturally focus on our circumstances and the people that cause them, and we often want those to change or for God to somehow extract us from them. And God's will often includes not the change of our circumstances or relief from the problems and the pressures, but to change us, isn't it? That is his purpose, and we can always say that is part of God's purpose, is to change me. And that happens as you behold Christ. We behold him again in his word, don't we? We see Christ in the word. And so as we gaze upon him, as we have those times in the word, as we spend time morning by morning, evening and evening, and other times just filling our minds with the scriptures, and we see, we see the truth of who God is and how he works and what he wants us to look like, that's that mirror. And we, we see actually his glory and what he's like. And that we are changed by the Spirit of God who's at work in you. That's the hope, isn't it? It's not just you deciding, i got to change this. But the Holy Spirit's giving you the power and he's guiding you into what needs to be changed. There's a Scottish preacher named Andrew Bonar. He's known for just profound and beautiful writings and sermons and a, a, a very personal and passionate shepherd's heart for his people. And he took his two daughters to see the queen visiting Edinburgh, Scotland. And later he told his friend, we saw the queen, but we were not changed. He said, but when we see him, we will be changed. We'll be like him. That's reflecting what John said, right, in 1 John. When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And there are many things that you and I can gaze upon and, and look at and behold But when we behold Christ now, we are being changed. We're in the process of growth. And one day we will see him as he is, and we will be changed. It'll be done. We'll be like him. That's our life's purpose. That's what God has in store for us. And suffering and pain push us to do that. God's plan for us also includes helping others see Christ and live. Look with me at um, at chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. So, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we've, received, as we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. That's the tendency, isn't it? But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who do not believe. So look at what he's identifying now. He's identifying the fact that there are people in this world around you 
who are blinded to the truth and they do not believe, the gospel's veiled to them, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The gospel of the glory of Christ. So there are people who, who don't want to hear about it, don't want to receive it. Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts. Is that you? Has God shined the light of the gospel into your heart? Have you heard about Jesus and believed on him and been saved? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 7. But he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be be of God and not of us. And now he circles back and starts describing his circumstances. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now here's a purpose statement. Remember, we're talking about purpose, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Purpose statement again, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so then death is working in us, but life in you. What's he saying? He's saying, when I suffer, when I go through these hardships, those are opportunities for the the light to shine out, for the glory of Christ The transformation happening in my life, Paul says, to shine out from my life during the hard times. So that those who are in darkness, those who do not believe, can see it right in front of their eyes. He says all these these pressures and, and painful circumstances pressing in on me, weighing upon me. He says what these do is they expose the light that I have inside of me, so that others can see it. And he says to them in verse 12, the result of that is life for you. Life for you. And I would say the same is true for every one of us here. When you experience the hardships and the hurts, yes, we tend to want to nurse those wounds and salve that grief and change those circumstances if possible. That's all natural. But sometimes we have to realize God has a grand purpose. And what he has allowed is actually transforming me, growing me. And then one of God's purposes is that others would see that. And that's your children. It's your grandchildren. It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's your classmate. It's an unsaved person that you're praying for. Those who have not received the light. You, Christ is shining his glory through you. And along with that pain, there is peace and there is joy that shines through because of what you know God's doing in your life. And God can use that to bring life to somebody else as they understand more and more of who Jesus is. This is what it means to see through suffering and pain. What do others see in you? But what did Job's friends see in him? Well, they saw a righteous man, but they also saw a level of self-justification and defensiveness, didn't they? And God exposes that to Job. What do people around you see in you during the times of suffering and pain? Do they see the light of Christ showing through? People around you who don't know the truth about Jesus Christ will observe how you respond to suffering and pain 
and they will want to know why. So rather than obscuring God's purpose, as Paul's saying here, let it be manifest. Let God's purpose be brought out into the open in your life. And, and the reason is so that, that you will not only, not only you will see Christ and be changed, but you'll help others see Christ and bring life into their lives as well. It's amazing how God does that, not through our sufficiency, but through our insufficiency. Not through our greatness, but through our weakness. Not through our wholeness, but through our brokenness. That's how God works. There's a book by Ray Stedman called Let God Be God. Life-changing truths from the book of Job. That sounds good, doesn't it? And in his book, he uses, he tells a story of Niccolo Paganini, who is considered one of the most brilliant violinists in the history of music. And I confirmed this with our violinists here. (laughs) Paganini was truly great. Spectacular. And not only was he a spectacular violinist, but also he was a showman. And, and he, he had an, an ability, a unique ability to perform an entire sonata on a single violin string. So violin has how many strings? Four strings. And he could play an entire musical piece, all the notes, every bit of it on just one string. He was that talented. But he was also a showman. So he arranged a way for, during a, a concert for his strings to actually break. And, and I read two accounts of this. One says that he actually attached a little knife to his wrist so that he could, he could cut the strings. Another one said that he would just notch, notch the strings before the concert so that eventually they would break. But, but the way Ray Stedman tells it is that, that he would be playing and, and nick the bottom string and it would pop and everybody's, you know, grabs their attention, and he keeps playing every, every note, every, everything, and then he, he cuts the next one, and it pops, and he cuts the next one, and it pops, and the crowd's gasping and, you know, thinking this is it, it's over, and he finishes the sonata beautifully, perfectly, playing every single note just on, on one string. And, of course, he did it to display what a virtuoso, what a master he was, and he was. And the way Stedman summarizes this is he says, the same is true of God. When does a master violinist display his greatest skill? When he has only one string to play on. God is the great virtuoso who wants to transform your life into a masterpiece of his power and grace. As Paul says, that the excellence of the power may be not of us, but of him, right? And his brilliance is displayed most dramatically when he has the least to work with, when the strings of our lives have been broken. And there is nothing left for him to play on but a single string. And he says that's the truth Job learned. His life had been reduced to a single strand. God just kept taking things away, right? But that strand had been stretched, taught, and finally tuned by the master and beautiful music burst forth from Job's life. And God does have a purpose 
doesn't he? It's his glory. Rightfully so. God is the one deserving of our glory, of everybody's glory, the people around us. And how does he display his glory, his greatness? How does he show who the virtuoso, who the master really is? Just like the violinist, not by holding up an instrument saying, look what a great instrument I have, but by by displaying how he can show his skill with a deficient and broken instrument. And that is how God displays his glory in us, isn't it? As Paul said back in 1 Corinthians, how does he display his greatness, his goodness, his wisdom by using the the weak things of the world to confound the mighty, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And that's how God works, isn't it? And you see this here in in chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And God is producing his masterpiece in your life. He is making beautiful music through you, a broken instrument, so that people will see his greatness and give him glory, the glory of the master. Can you see your hardships, your hurts, your deficiencies, your brokenness in that way? Job's answer gives us two big lessons. The first one is to have a right view of God. Let's go back to Job 42 and see the second lesson, and that is to have a realistic view of yourself. A realistic view of yourself. Suffering and pain prompt us to admit, and I'm going to put this in the way that Job might express this in common, maybe current language. There's a whole lot I don't understand, but I must accept. So in verse 3, he says, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? He's repeating the question that God had asked him, so he's answering that question. And, and his response is, the second part of verse 3, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. He's saying, you, you are right, God. You said I didn't have knowledge, and, and you're exactly right. I lack understanding. I have spoken beyond my capacity for understanding. God's purpose and plan and ways are much greater than our sphere of knowledge and our experience. If you were here last week, you may remember we closed with William Cooper's hymn, God works in a, what kind of way? What kind of way? Mysterious. Mysterious. God works in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And the stanza said, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, S-E-N-S-E. Don't judge God by your limited capacity for understanding. That is our tendency, isn't it? So we need to be okay with not understanding. When we reach the limit, we get to the point where we realize, you know what, I don't understand. I do not comprehend what's going on, why it's happening, how could God allow this, and then stop and say, I am okay with that. That's what Job was saying here. There's a lot I don't understand, but I must accept. And if I could give Job words, kind of put words in his mouth, I need hard times to push me to grow. And let me show you where I get that from. Look at verse 5. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but, and you see the next word, now my eye sees you. And that is not just 
a uh, kind of a, a mechanical, grammatical particle there. How's that? Grammatical, <laughs> mechanical, grammatical particle. It's not just there to help things move along in the, in the sentence, right? But now this, this, this. No, this, this is an important word. And, and it, it means it has the idea of at this time. And it's emphasizing that something was not occurring previous to this, but at this time, there's something new and different that's taking place. But now, now, when, after all of that that Job experienced and everything that God said to him, now, now, my eye sees you. So, that is an admission that he needed those hard times. That it was the hardship that brought him to that place and moved him to that point in his life. Job had experienced God's work in his life. Job had heard God's revelation of himself. Job was experiencing God's transforming work in his life firsthand. Now my eye sees you. Now I understand better who you are and what you're doing in my life. Because of Job's suffering and pain, he was in a condition to really listen to God. And this is a major admission to make, isn't it? All right, Lord, I do not want this. I never would have asked for this, but I need this. And I have heard, and you may have as well, heard believers, Christians say, I would never have chosen this. But I'm thankful that God brought it into my life because he has done things in me that never would have happened. I never would have grown, never would have understood God in the ways that I do now. That's really what Job was expressing here. He was in a condition to, to listen to God and to grow, and rather than wishing the circumstances away or becoming resentful about them, he's saying, I needed this. And that, that's, again, a very serious, a very weighty admission to make. And all, all I would do this morning is just say to you, please consider this. Please walk away from here today with this on your mind and think, is this something I need to be able to say? An admission to make, an affirmation to make to God, as Job was doing, God, I need this. I needed this to help me grow. And suffering and pain prompt us to admit, like Job, my response has been wrong and I want to make it right. When he says in verse 6, I abhor myself, you may see in your translation of the Bible that the word myself is in italics, meaning it's not in the original language. So literally, he, he, he's saying, I, I reject. That's what the word abhor means. What he's saying is that I've, I've been speaking without knowledge, I've been obscuring your purpose, and now I'm acknowledging what, that what you're saying is right. And I am rejecting the way I've been responding. So my, my self-justification, my questioning of, of your wisdom and your fairness and obscuring your purpose, he's saying, I, I'm rejecting that. We would call that repentance, wouldn't we? And that's what he says, I repent. So he's not saying I hate myself. He's saying I am rejecting the way I responded. I'm saying that was not right, the way I've responded to you in speaking without knowledge and obscuring your purpose. He's saying, I'm agree with God. I'm agreeing with God. That's confession, isn't it? Agreeing with God. He's saying, my response has been wrong, and I'm repenting in dust and ashes. Not repenting from, from non-existent sin, 
Because it says that, that he didn't sin initially, right? It was not because of his sin. But there, there was something that happened during the process. And, and again, he's probably referring to the way he responded. He's saying, I repent of the way that I responded to you. Questioning God's fairness, demanding satisfactory answers, and obscuring God's purpose. And that does cause us to think, all right, how am I responding? What's the attitude of my heart? How am I viewing God? What am I demonstrating to others about my God? And maybe there is a need to repent. We all have suffering and pain. We experience day-to-day trials. We all do. And there can also be life-altering tragedies that affect us as well. Our sin may not be the cause of these But it is possible to respond in a wrong way in our hearts. So really this is a call to examine our hearts now. And say, what is the response of my heart? It's interesting, isn't it, that God spoke to Job. He spoke to him. What a gracious God that communicates with his people and leads them along. Oh, yes, with a fatherly firmness, but also with with a fatherly gentleness, leads us along. And that's what he was doing with Job, wasn't he? Just helping Job see how shallow, how limited his thinking was, how short his view of God was. And growing in his view of God, God led him along. And that's what he does to us, isn't it? He communicates to us. He guides us. He grows us, moves us along, communicates with us. His purpose, but also his graciousness and love. And he is a very forgiving God. God spoke to Job and he's speaking to you. God showed himself through Job to us. And God is showing himself to others through you. So just as we learn from Job by by looking at what he did and how he responded. Even even the, the negative side of that. But how he came out of that. Other people are watching you and learning from you. And how you respond in the ways that you grow as well. And our God allows that. He is growing us. He is patient. And he is forgiving. And his ultimate purpose in us comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we focus on Jesus. As we see what he's like. See how he responded to suffering and pain. And imitate him. Emulate him. And the ways that we fall short of that we grow. And just like Jesus on the cross, not only, not only accomplished our salvation, but also proclaimed our salvation. He put it on full display. The way we respond to those hard times display who God is, who Jesus is as well. Seeing through suffering and pain means that we see God for who he is. And we see ourselves as we really are. Please pray with me. In this quiet moment, is God speaking to you in some way? How is your view of God? His purpose? Is there anything that you need to acknowledge to him and say, Lord, I repent of this. I need this.
Lord, more than anything, I want you to show yourself through my life. You're the virtuoso. You're the master. Take me down to one strand and display your glory. Help us, Father, in our hearts to be in the right place and to truly show that you are our Lord. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your ongoing sanctifying activity in our lives. Lord, thank you just for being our our good God who loves and cares and communicates and, and patiently brings us along. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. And I pray that you would help each one to reach out and accept and receive and embrace these truths in the most personal way that they need. In Jesus' name, amen.